In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning and Happy New Year. How are those resolutions coming? And Happy Epiphany. Happy Epiphany. Today is January 6th. It is the uh, 13th day after Christmas, which means last night was 12th night. Anybody at 12th night parties last night? Yeah, a couple, a couple. At least a couple willing to admit it. Um, but if you don't know, Epiphany is a major feast day for the church. It's kind of a big deal day, though it kind of gets lost a lot of times in the hangover uh, after the holidays. But every now and then, Epiphany falls on a Sunday. And we get to really focus in on that mysterious visit of the wise men to come and adore uh, the baby Jesus. You may know that this feast day, Epiphany, that it begins a whole new season uh, in the church year, appropriately called Epiphany. And it'll take us all the way to Lent, Ash Wednesday, which this year falls on March 6th. And so this is a season, I mean, you know what an epiphany is, it's a, a realization, and this is a season of realization. It's a, the scripture passages focus on the realization of who Jesus actually is. And I have been thinking a lot about these passages that we will have through the course of epiphany, and you might expect I've been thinking a lot about this year for our church, 2019. I've been thinking a lot about discipleship. I mean, if our vision is that we exist to help people wherever they are in their spiritual journey to live into a personal and intimate relationship with Jesus, another way to say that is we exist to help make disciples, right? Discipleship. But I've been told by some, and I don't know if this resonates with you, but for some anyway, I've been told that discipleship is sort of a scary word. That it, um, it brings up images like of, of sort of uh, unnecessary rigor or fanaticism or oppressive expectations. And I, again, I don't know if that's you or not, but I will say that I don't think that discipleship should be a scary word. Uh, a disciple is simply one who follows the ways and the teachings of another person. We are Christians. We follow the ways and teachings of Jesus Christ. And so... Uh, Just to illustrate that, think of your life uh, like a house. And in that house, there are lots and lots of different rooms. And we do not want to just invite Jesus into the foyer of our heart and just leave him there. Right? He'd just be sitting by the grandfather clock forever till you come home. Discipleship is the process of inviting Jesus into every room of your house. Every room of the house of your heart. We want him in the living room, right, where we relax. We want him in the dining room where we have important conversations. We want him in the office where we handle all the important details, the finances of our home. We want him in the bedroom where we rest and rejuvenate for the next day. Discipleship is the process of inviting Jesus into every room in the house, into each area of our lives. 
And so I want for us as a church family to take this epiphany, this season of realization, and think about discipleship. Let's realize Jesus in every area of our life. Let's discover those rooms that we haven't let him in yet and invite him in. And before we go any further down that path, let's remember that discipleship, Christian discipleship, is not a command. In the sense, it's not a burden. If it's a command at all, it's a command of love. Discipleship is a grace. You and I cannot take one step towards Christ apart from the steps that he has already taken towards you and me. We cannot invite him into any area of our lives except that he has already invited us into his life. And so, don't think of discipleship as a work that you must achieve, but as a grace that you get to receive. Don't think of discipleship as a work that you must achieve, but a grace that you get to receive. Is that a deal? All right. So, I, for one, am thankful that we get to begin this epiphany uh, look at discipleship with the Magi. Do you ever think about the Magi? These wise men, you might pass a billboard or get a Christmas card that say, wise men still seek him, right? Or uh, in your creche scene in your home, you may have three kings, but that creche scene is, you know, it's already up in in tissue paper and in a box for next year. Have you really thought about them? I mean, just how mysterious... This story is, St. Matthew doesn't give us a lot of details. Um, He just mentions sort of nonchalantly that wise men came from the east to Jerusalem asking where is the child who has been born king of the Jews. They followed a star which to them specifically and uniquely signaled Jesus' birth. You may know that many have tried to figure out what that was, what that star was. Was it a comet? If it was, we hadn't seen it again. We're not sure what that would have been. Was it a conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn? Uh, Was it a supernova? But of course, whatever it was, if it was any of those, the Jews would have been able to see it too. And it doesn't seem like they did, or at least the significance of it was lost. It was a divine signal to these Gentile sages. What scholars do know about these magi, or about magi like these, was um, that they weren't kings exactly. We sing we three kings, but they weren't kings in the sense that they ruled over a kingdom. They were more like priests or astrologists or magicians, spiritual sages who worked in the courts of the kings uh, in places mostly east of Israel uh, like Persia, and Babylon. And they would have had access, uh, therefore, to significant power and wealth, uh, to uh, learning. They most certainly would not have been Jewish if they were anything at all. There's a few other times in Scripture that the word magi is used, but it's all negative. It's all used in a pejorative sense, like Uh, false prophets on the level of snake oil salesmen. But here, in Matthew's gospel, it's positive. It's all positive. They came to worship him. And when they found him, they were 
I love the phrase, overwhelmed with joy. And they offered expensive, luxurious gifts to this very poor family. And what I have been wondering is why? Why? I mean, that's one thing that that Matthew doesn't tell us, and it's what I want to know. Why did these wise men, these sages of the stars, come seeking Jesus? I mean, if they were those sorts of magi that uh, worked in the courts of the Babylonian kings, just think of the wealth and the comfort that they would have had to leave in order to get there. Think of the difficulty of the journey that they would have had to endure. I mean, if they were coming from Babylon, they would have had to walk for six to eight weeks. And, you know, the text doesn't actually say anything about camels. That comes from Isaiah, which we read there. Uh, But if they did have to ride camels, they had to ride them for six to eight weeks. That's that would leave you sore. But, you know, they would have, they would have ridden through uh, arid, uh, dry country with, uh, that was uh, very scarce food and water. They're carrying those expensive gifts all the way. Uh, I mean, wouldn't they have worried about uh, a risk being abducted or robbed or m- murdered even? I mean, maybe they had an entourage of guards. We're not told that. Uh, did they wonder along the way if the child, if they would even find the child that they were looking for? And did they wonder if the child they found would be worth their immense effort? I mean, these guys, again, they weren't Jewish. I mean, they were coming to worship the king of the Jews, they say. What, I mean, what was it that the stars told them that compelled them to keep going? to continue their trek to worship the king of the Jews. You know, other than the fact that they um, went straight to Jerusalem and it seems they were given an audience with King Herod, uh, there is no overt indication that they came on behalf of any eastern king, like as an ambassador or as a political uh, emissary or delegate. They seem to have come on their own uh, following this mysterious star. For the sole purpose of being in the presence of Christ. This child, this king of the Jews. Why did they leave the comfort of their lives to fall prostrate before this peasant child? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about what they must have gone through, what they must have endured and overcome, what they must have given up just to be in the presence of the Messiah, I mean, surely it cost them much more than gold and frankincense and myrrh. And yet when they got there, they didn't come with a list of all the things that they had been through. They don't seem to have asked for any reward or pat on the back Their reward was worship. Their reward was Christ. I don't know if you know that the origin of the English word worship was worth-ship. That is to ascribe or declare worth 
to someone or to something. And so when we worship God here each week, like the Magi worshiped Jesus then, we are declaring his worth. We're telling him and singing to him about his worth to us. His, uh, we're entrusting ourselves to his divine worth. Does your worship each week, does that feel like that? For these magi, these wise men, all I can figure is that they came to this Christ child in this way because they knew that it was worth the risk. That they would, that everything that they would gain in coming to him would far exceed everything that they had to give up. That everything they would gain from coming to him would far exceed anything that they had to give up. And how could they be so sure? Well, have you considered that these magi weren't the only ones to come an extraordinary distance for this meeting? That these magi weren't the only ones who had stepped out of immense wealth and luxury for that meeting on a dirt floor? Have you considered that Jesus himself initiated his own journey? The second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, the agent of creation, the adoration of angels, the train of whose robe filled the heavenly temple. That he too stepped out of his place in heaven and into the womb of a virgin. And the provision of an itinerant carpenter. Have you considered that he stepped out of heaven into flesh and blood, into neediness and trust, into the messiness of human experience? And have you considered that in coming such a distance that he in no way met the Magi halfway, but covered such a massive span at such great cost to himself that the distance and effort of the Magi comparatively seemed like only an easy half step? Have you considered that upon his arrival that Jesus did not come with a list of resentful demands that he had earned of you by way of his effort? But that angels sang glory in the night to shepherds who never expected such an announcement. And that the stars danced in such a way that the wise men hit the road. See, the question of why Jesus came is in fact far more important and far easier to answer than the question of why the wise men traveled so far. Because the answer is that Jesus came for you. He came not to stand in the foyer of your life, but for every room in the house of your heart. He came to bring healing and light to the rooms that you have long since shuttered. He came to bring light and joy to the rooms that you have kept him out of, and he came to bring vibrancy and love to your well-worn paths. He came for you. And he came for all of you. And like the Magi, whatever it cost him, whatever it cost you to get to him, what you receive in him will far exceed 
anything that you give up. And you will find, in fact, that he has paid a much dearer price for you than even the wise men uh, knew at that mysterious meeting. For you will find that he has given his own life for yours. That every part of his heart, given for every room in your heart, every nook and cranny, every glory in your life, every shame, every win, every guilt, he gave his life for you. He came for you, that he might be your great reward. See, this is Christian discipleship, not a demand to assemble a certain set of skills or to give up X amount of time or money. Those things may come. Discipleship is an invitation, a grace to enjoy the love and the freedom and the person of Jesus Christ in every aspect of your life. Now, I am not a big fan of New Year's resolutions. But what if, what if we, as a church family together, what if we decided that we were going to do our best by God's grace to let Jesus pass the foyer of our hearts? What would that look like in your life? Maybe it would look like more regular daily devotions. You know, you read a chapter of the Bible a day, or a chapter of the Old Testament and a chapter of the New Testament, five days a week. Maybe it would look like that. Maybe it would look like calling the person that you need to apologize to, or calling the person that you need to forgive even if they haven't apologized to you. Uh, Maybe it would look like confession and repentance and trusting Jesus in that area of your life that you have found it really hard to trust him with. And you should know it probably will again after that look like confession and repentance and trying again and again. But it'll be worth it. Maybe it will look like being more open to serving in a ministry of the church. Maybe it'll look like befriending that weird neighbor of yours. In this new year, how will we respond? How will we worship the King? Ascribe worth to Him in every aspect of our lives. How will we, like the wise men, offer our treasures to the one who came for us? Next week, we have in this service a baptism. In fact, we have, last count, six baptisms. It's going to be awesome. And there's always there's room for more. But there will be a point in that liturgy where we as a congregation will recommit ourselves to Christ. You know, the, the wonder of the liturgy is it leads us in these things. But the downside is that it can just be rote and we can read it blankly off the page and it not mean anything. And I am saying that let's not do that. Let's not recommit ourselves in a way that is rote and that does not mean anything to us. So take some time this week to read what you will say. 
This is the Book of Common Prayer. It's on page 304 and 305. Now, if you don't have a Book of Common Prayer, you can go to BCP, Book of Common Prayer, bcponline.org. And on the side, the left-hand side, you can just click Holy Baptism, page 304 and 305. If you don't have a Book of Common Prayer and you don't have a computer with the Internet, just take one. You know, just take one and bring it back. But, um, the, uh, but look it over and really give some thought to what you will mean when you recommit yourself to Christ as part of this baptism service next week. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit in our lives. We're going to talk about the importance of our own baptism. But think about, in this new year, what you are giving yourself to. Let's take some thought to how we will truly open ourselves to Jesus Christ. How far do we need to travel to him? What rooms in our hearts do we need to open? Because he's come for you. So let us carefully consider our response to the love and to the grace of discipleship. Amen.